Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Lots to get to today. Don Taylor will join us and uh, we'll start previewing the Battle of the Brothers Hughes, which will happen tomorrow at Rogers Arena. I like expect John C. Riley or something to come out <laughs> when, you, when you say the Battle of Brothers Hughes. Yes. John C. Riley in a Canucks jersey. <laughs> Quinn is going to uh, face Will off. Will Ferrell comes out in, the, in a Devil's jersey. Uh, in a tuxedo t-shirt <laughs> or, uh, or a Devil's jersey? Yes, yeah. Probably a Devil's jersey. Um... Uh, Quinn Hughes will face off against his brothers, both of his brothers, for the first time in his uh, NHL career. Luke and Jack expected to be in the lineup for the number one power play in the National Hockey League. And uh, the New Jersey Devils, who've kind of been off to a so-so start, but uh, have had some injury troubles. We'll look to uh, get that going as the season goes on. Should be a good one. Canucks will have to be in top form. We'll we'll dive into that game a little bit more later on in the show as uh, Canucks coming off. What was a sneaky big win over the Calgary Flames on Saturday, maintaining a healthy cushion over those below them in the Pacific Division standings. And ultimately, that's what you want to do. And I didn't think they were all that great on Saturday night. I didn't think they were all that bad either. It was just kind of a it was a kind of a quiet performance, something I guess we're expecting to see more of as the season goes on yeah i mean and they still ended up with four goals on the evening yeah too and so it's like as much as the scoring regression we speak of it just they still score four goals or yes. five goals here and there right uh but yes i thought they were slightly better than calgary i mean they just des- i didn't come away saying they were lucky to win i didn't come away saying mm-hmm. they weren't the better team but they weren't significantly better than calgary was right but hey they needed to be better than a team that's been red hot by their standards. And now, but having that victory, you just ensure that cushion you built on them remains at 10 points. And I know Calgary has a game in hand, but Calgary has been on a six, three and one run here the last yeah. 10. And this has been the best hockey they played. And they made up three points on Vancouver who now still has a 10 point cushion. I mean, that's, that's a difference of, Hey, being the team that, is in the same tier as Calgary or being above Calgary. Yeah. And you're just going to want to maintain that kind of gap for the remainder of the season and don't let them even sniff your heels. One of the things, and we'll dive more into this with the uh, the Monday menu, which is coming up in just a little bit, but the Canucks haven't been as clean lately. You know, we've talked about the schedule and how heavy it's been and, right. and those types of things. Power play and penalty kill both struggling right now, and they still managed to stay 500, so... While there are there are a few caution flags out here right now, it's it's still like if this is a bad stretch for you and you manage to to maintain a 500 record, like that's that's still pretty good in the grand scheme, especially with the way they built up their their record early on this season. The team with the ninth best record in the Western Conference is 500. Yeah. So basically, if you're 500, you're just below the playoff bar. And that's being 500 the whole year. The Canucks obviously are, are significantly above 500, 16, uh, 8 and 1 now on the season. But their stretch of 6 and 6 their last 12, yeah, it's coming off the heels of the 10, 2 and 1 run. There was always going to be a bit of a correction. But if 6 and 6 or 7 and 7 is kind of what you do, and then you start being above 500 again, 
that's how you not only make the playoffs, but you really become a 100-plus point team. You finish in the top three of the division. You maybe put yourself in the discussion of being a fringe contender by the end of the year if you are able to pull a few moves off or whatever. But that's a conversation we're having with Vancouver because over this past stretch, these last 10 games, they still made up um, about, I think, two or three points on the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. The only other team other than Calgary that's outside the playoff bar, and Nashville's kind of come a bit closer, but they're still only sitting there at 500, is really Edmonton that's gone 7-3. and three. Yeah. So and Edmonton was so far behind you that right now they're still uh, sitting there 14 points behind Vancouver. They have three games in hand, but they're not really in the discussion of being a team that's going to be you know, unseating you, at least not quite yet. Uh, still sub-10 wins on the season. Even if the Oilers were to win all three of their games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks, they'd still be eight points back. Yeah. So that's the benefit of starting as hot as the Vancouver Canucks have. Seventh best points percentage still in the league, despite being 500 over their last 12 games, as mentioned. Now, they added to the team, as we talked about, and we got our first look at Nikita Zadorov. And it's been talked about quite a bit. You know, Patrick Alvin was asked about it yesterday, a potential extension for Nikita Zadorov. And uh, he sort of just said what Patrick always says, and that's a bunch of words that don't really tell us a whole lot yes. about the future situation other than, you know, they're open to the idea of extending Nikita Zadorov. And why wouldn't you be after you make the trade for him and you don't have a lot of commitments yet on defense aside from Quinn Hughes beyond this season? Of course, Philip Hronick will factor into that. But just to sort of start this conversation, assuming the Canucks are going to want to extend Nikita Zadorov as many of us think they will, what does that look like, Sad? How much is it going to cost? Is it an exorbitant price? Like what does it cost to keep Nikita Zadorov in Vancouver, you think? Uh, so I've looked at some contract comparables mm -hmm. for some players, and I kept it to guys who are left-handed defensemen. Um, and I know you can still add a few guys who are right-handed defensemen, but I, I think it's notable enough, the difference in, in handedness that comes into contract discussions that I'd like to split them up um, for the most part. But there's no world where you can sign Nikita Zadorov for less than $3.5 million per season. Unless we're talking about the Canucks giving him a, a very long-term contract. Like so if you, you do, give him extra terms, so the total money is about the same, but yeah, uh, if they do like the lower AAV. If they do six or seven years, for instance, does yeah. it come below 3.5? Maybe. But I don't know if you want to do that. Like, mm -hmm. do you want to, Is saving 250K to 300K or even 750K on the average annual value worth it? To go those extra years. Yeah. I don't think it is, right? Like, I, I, I still, as much as every dollar counts, I don't think that type of savings is significant enough for me to add extra term. But we're talking about a guy who's going to be making between three and a half to four million per season. That's the range. And, you know, there's Ben Schrott. Again, he's a right hand defenseman. He got 4.75. You can point and say there are some similarities. But again, handedness, different person, different reputation defensively. That's the highest contract. Schrott was found. coming off a pretty impressive yes. playoff as well. And considered a top four bona fide yeah. defenseman, whereas Zadorov's not, right? That's the highest end comparable I can find. And again, a right hand defenseman. So I don't I don't view it as, as, as something that really fits. Outside of that, it's Jake McCabe, the highest contract I saw, four times four. Yeah. He signed that in 2021. Brendan Dillon signed a four-year deal at 3.9 per season, essentially $4 million. That was in 2020. On the lower end, if you want to be optimistic, Joel Edmondson in 2020, 3.5 over four. And Carson Soucy, who signed a three-year deal at 
That's the really, if you want to look at maybe the most friendly one. Yeah. But Zadorov has more of a track record and scored more goals in a given season. I think he'll be able to command more than 3.25. All of these players, uh, to me, I would categorize them as 4-5-ish type defensemen. And I don't think we're under any illusions that Nikita Zadorov is more than that. I don't. I don't know if his role is going to significantly increase here in Vancouver that he's going to be allowed to to show that he is a ton more than that. So this is for me this is the ballpark. And right now he's at 375. Yeah. I would imagine he wants some level of security on top of that and we'll probably get it as a pending unrestricted free agent. So this 15 to 16 million dollars total money on a 4-year deal that sounds like the ballpark to me. Yeah, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. And is he better than Jake McCabe, Brendan Dillon, at Joel Edmondson? Depends on what day you watch them. Yes. You can make the case, right? Uh, you can say he's a better skater than a couple of those guys, which I think it's, 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 is a big positive. Has a big shot. So does Carson Soucy, obviously. But I, I think it's, it's a fair range for him. If you're lucky, you get him a 3.5. If he really buys into something here and, and you know, maybe go four years, maybe, maybe he gives you 3.5, but I think it's going to be closer to four, most likely. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't believe, like for me, there wouldn't be any rush. Like I do want to see the fit. I do want to see how he performs here in Vancouver. I want to see how much he can handle if you try to increase his role a little bit. And be, my, I, my biggest concern with Nikita Zadorov. The best I've seen him play is mostly in a third parish type role where he gets a little bit sheltered. Right. And so do I want to pay? Would I like to see the Canucks pay a defenseman that kind of money that I still have trouble trusting in some spots or wondering what their ultimate value is to this team? That that would be my concern with giving Nikita Zadorov a contract like that. It's it's a fair concern with him. How different is he from Carson Soucy in terms of overall value and role, yeah. especially if you want to keep them on the left side? Yeah. Now, you can look at it the other way. You can say, between the two of them, can one of them emerge as a legitimate number four? Yeah. Legitimate second pair, left-handed defenseman? Mm-hmm. If, if that's what you're playing at, and then the other guy's a good number three who can play up when you need him, can play the right side a little bit, like there is versatility there. So I agree that, that you're you're maybe limiting yourself with overall upside and you're locking into some guys, but you are getting guys that, are, that have a pretty high floor. And the more I look around the league, and I think the fact that there's thir- a 32-team league now as opposed to 30 teams really makes a big impact. Like I think kind of snuck up on us yes. with Seattle too, and then you start looking around the league and you're like, there, there isn't enough top four guys to go around. There was already uh, <laughs> there was already a lack of right shot defensemen, yes. but now there's just a lack of... like There's a lot of third pairs in the league that you're like, Wow, they probably really have to share, shelter that pair. Yeah, and you see a lot of guys that are asked to do a lot to play in a top four, play in a top pair, right? Yeah. So I think we have to reframe our expectations to some degree as well in terms of players that are available and the quality of players you go after. And as much as you don't want to be paying guys that are kind of middle-class players, you know, three and a half to four million per season, there is a scarcity, and there's also a scarcity in players with size that skate the way he does. Same with Carson Soucy, have a big shot, do different things. You are raising your floor. I wonder about the ceiling overall, too. But I can see the theory behind it, especially if you want to build the identity on your back end a certain way, and you have your horses with Hughes and Heronic. So because you have such a high end 
and you have two guys on such a big high-end level, I, I do believe you have a bit more flexibility to have maybe a couple of guys like that, you yeah. know, and it's about filling guys out in, in different roles, for instance. And if you have those two skill guys and then you have some trees and monsters, <laughs> you know, backing them up, it makes you very hard to play against. Like I do, under, I, I can see the vision yeah. to some extent. So that that's part of the confidence that I think this regime has started to build up in that when they acquire a player, there is and seems to be an understanding of what that player's good at, where they can excel, how they can be used, and ultimately there there shouldn't be any surprises of yeah. what that player can do, and they, they have an understanding of how that player can succeed in the Canuck system. Whereas, yeah, it was a critique we would have of, or I certainly would have, of the previous regime where they'd go and sign a player and then immediately the fit doesn't look all that great. And you're like, well, where, what were you thinking this was, what were you thinking this was going to look like? I haven't seen that as much with this regime and how they plan to use these players. So that's a positive. There's some confidence there. But my other, the other part of this conversation is, well, how much cap space do they have? <laughs> that's the big one. So we know Elias Pettersson. We'll, we'll talk about the non-update update on Elias Pettersson at some point during today's program. But... <laughs> Um, my, like, you know, Elias Pettersson is going to get a, an extension. You know, Philip Ronick is going to get an extension. How much money do the Canucks have to fill out the rest of their roster? And as I previously mentioned, since we're focusing on Nikita Zadorov and the defense after, let's say they do sign Hronik, then yeah. they will only have Hughes and Hronik and Susie as players locked into deals beyond this year on the current group of defensemen. So they won't just have to add Zadorov. They'll be looking to add two more players beyond that. Yes. So I've simplified this a little bit. We okay. simplify this a little bit in terms of how we're going to present this. I don't, we don't want to make this grade 12 calculus for exactly. you. Exactly. And we're not going to do the whole, let's walk, walk through every single player on the roster. But as you mentioned, you have Cole, Hronik, and Susie. Let's assume that you give Hronik and Pedersen a combined 19 million. Again, yeah. maybe 20 million. Let's just say 19 for argument's sake, right? Uh, combined 19 million. So you add those two guys, right? And then let's let's say you give put Coles in the Hoaglander contract because at some point you have to make the same roster decision as you've done with Hoaglander with him. But let's say you give put Coles in the 1 million deal. And then let's say uh, Archdeep Baines mm -hmm. fills out your roster. So you have 12 forwards now under contract, right? And includes Baines and includes put Coles in. But that means a 13 forward is open, which means you can add a forward. Can, can the forward you add push down one of those guys to the yeah. 13 forward? But to make the point, you have 12 forward sign now if you add put Colson and Baines um, yeah. into the discussion with Niels Olman, obviously. Like, it, it doesn't feel like they have to spend in that area because they have a few options developing in Abbotsford that are going to come in on cheap deals. Could you bring Lafferty back, maybe, mm -hmm. as that extra forward we're talking about? Unless he like keeps playing on Patterson's wing and scores at the the incredible pace uh, that he's been on with Patterson, uh, he's probably still going to be very cost effective. And we're trying to fill out a twenty three man roster. Yes. So twelve forwards, and we'll do thirteen forwards and eight defensemen. Okay. So we have twelve forwards there, right? So let's add guys like Juleson and let's add, let's say, Breezebot mm -hmm. at seven eight defensemen to fill out the roster, yeah. right? And let's add C Lops as the backup goaltender, right? Okay. So I've done that. So what what that leaves now is three top six defensemen spots and one forward spot open. So okay. four spots open altogether. When you factor in Tucker Pullman's LTIR, that gives the Canucks eleven and a half million to fill out four spots on the roster. 
So an average of just under $3 million per player. Yeah. Now, again, if you want, you can take the cheap route with mm-hmm. uh, your number six defenseman. Let's say we're going we're to do Hirose, for instance, right? Yeah. You can do that, which gives you options. You can just say, let's just bring up another forward from Abbasur to fight for a spot. Yep. So if you do that, for instance, then all of a sudden um, you have two spots remaining and you have something like $10 million to play with. Right. And there you can eat about four of, of that with Nikita Zadorov and still have some left over to sign Chris Tanev. Yes, and even, for instance, right? So they have a little bit of flexibility here, is the point. Their decision has to be, how much are we spending on defense, and are we going to sign another forward that's going to make any significant money or not? This does not preclude them moving some money off the books, let's say Garland at some point. But if they don't, that's what they have to play with. So if you're signing Zadorov to a $4 million contract, you still have some flexibility. But in terms of making a big addition... You've essentially made your one addition. You have one more addition to make. Mm-hmm. On, and it has to be on your blue line still. Yeah. Because we're talking about filling three spots on your blue line. So if you're spending four on Zadorov, you have one more guy to add after that. And that's pretty much that pretty much caps you out. Yeah. You know, you, you can do minor things like bring Lafferty back and you sign Tanov. But you can if you do Zadorov, Tanov, and Lafferty, let's say. That's probably all the money. That's all the money you have. That's yeah. it. And you maybe have a little bit left over, but nothing significant. Here. Yeah. So if you're signing Zadorov and you're not moving Garland or anybody off the books it is pretty much going to be one of your two additions that you're going to be able to make. It would be one of your, yeah, two major off-season signings, yeah. essentially, with what with the available cap space we expect the Canucks to have. And that sort of uh, reiterates the need to move one of the bigger salaries, whether it is Garland or, you know, we came into the year wondering if it would be Besser. He has, at least for now, quieted a lot of that discussion, but it probably does ramp up next summer when he is all of a sudden a year away from unrestricted free agency and a close to $7 million player. So that 11 and a half million can change obviously, but if things stay as is pretty much, and we ballpark that $19 million for Pedersen and Hronik, that's what you have. Yeah. Well, that that's it. And, And people are texting in about players. Like, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about the only reason I mentioned Baines is just as a placeholder. All I'm filling out is essentially slightly above league minimum contracts. Yes. And we're talking about a backup goaltender, and I'm factoring in these guys making about 850000 maybe one guy making a million like Put Colson. All we're doing is filling out the roster. You know, the point is to impress upon is what you can add to the roster after you fill out. In the margins, you know, you're going to have guys in the fourth line, extra yep. guys not making a ton. So once you fill that out, which you have to fill out, it shows how much money the Canucks have to play with. Uh, sure. I mean, you can make the argument for any one of those prospects to be that guy or not, or perhaps signing somebody else to a league minimum contract or finding the next Sam Lafferty, for instance. But it's about showing how much money they have to play with. And it's not a ton. And that's why on Zadorov, personally, I'd, I'd wait. Yes. Just wait and kind of see, let things play out. Like, I wouldn't rush into anything with him yet. If I were to guess, my guess would be at some point the team does end up signing him. Not imminently, but I think at some point they sign him. But unless they are able to clear more cap room out, once they sign Zadorov, Hronik, and Pedersen, for instance, like there isn't a lot else this team can do outside of maybe adding a Chris Tanev in free agency or somebody of that caliber. Yeah, and that's, of course, ballparking Nikita Zadorov at around a $4 million average annual value, Yeah, which uh, would just be a 250K raise on his current average annual value, 375 right now after acquired from the Calgary Flames. 
it sort of really indicates the pressure the Canucks are at with the cap space. And it's there's not a lot left after you sign Patterson and Hronik, especially with the way Philip Hronik is playing as well. Yeah, and for those asking, this factors in the rise in the cap next year. Yeah. And it factors in all of Rekmalarsson's um, buyout. Yes. Going. Again, I didn't want to get everything in. is already factored in. We don't want to get too granular here. Yes. And because anytime you start spewing off too many numbers and this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, you know, you just kind of gloss over it. And where I'm trying hard to avoid that here, but just to kind of make the point about what the Canucks have to spend and whether signing Zadorov now is worth it or not, my guess would be though, Dan, this team finds a way to clear up more cap space at some point. You know, and I'm talking about guys long term because they even had Rutherford. That quote from Rutherford at the beginning of the year, it still rings true. We have one or two contracts that we'd really like to get rid of. And you see why. Yeah. Because if you are able to, say, move Garland, all of a sudden. I don't think he was talking about Bovillier's contract. No, that guys that have term. If you are able to move Garland, that five million, that changes everything. Because now we're talking about, hey, instead of 10 million on four spots, now you have, uh, you know, you now you have 15 million on five spots. And one of them are just like depth spots. So now, now we could sign Willie Nylander. No, exactly. I don't. <laughs> well, you could. You seriously could. You, you, know you could mean? at least be a player for Nylander should he become a free agent. And, and that's where I think this team is trying to get to, yeah. where they can move that salary off the books because it'll change the entire um, outlook for this team in terms of what they can do this offseason. Yeah, it could uh, allow you to maybe bring in a true impact player versus um, you know some of the, the middle types yeah. that – we don't always really love on uh, on a roster. All right, let's uh, get to it quickly before Don Taylor. It's the Monday menu. Ah, yes, the flames. They were uh, sizzled on Saturday. <laughs> Extinguished. <laughs> Uh, Canucks with that win, and so the menu has uh, maybe a positive light to it. Uh, on the menu, that's who's hot. Simmering, that's who's heating up. And returning to the kitchen, that is what is cold with the Vancouver Canucks this week. So we'll start on the menu. Three assists on Saturday. Point per game for the season, 25 points. Philip Hronik is... That piece on the feature menu that looks incredible right now, and you're wondering if it's going to keep up, they might just have to make it a permanent fixture on the menu with the way that he's played and a long-term deal likely coming down the line for Philip Ronick with the way that he's fit next to Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I would say, though, considering how hot he is, are you best suited just to wait to the end of the season? Just <laughs> yeah. wait. Hey, uh, Alan, yeah, like I know you want to talk contract with Philip right now, but... Um, we're we're just gonna like we're gonna sit back on this one for now, you like, know. It's not getting higher than what it is right now. Like he's <laughs> over a point per game, you know. Yes. So it, it's not gonna get higher. Like he's not gonna score 130 points or something, 100, 100 points or something, I'd, right? I'd be surprised if he gets over 70 points by the end of the year. Yeah, too. exactly, right. But maybe he does. Maybe he does get above 70. But 70 is not 80. He's on pace for like 80, 83 or whatever it is. Right? Or easy point per game now. 80. You know what? How much has the goalpost changed though? Coming into the year, we would have said like 50 points seems out of reach for a guy who's not gonna play top power play minutes. Uh, but you know he's playing with Quinn Hughes and he's yeah. getting some top power play minutes as well and he's getting you know out there on six on five situations mm-hmm. with his big shots so he's getting a lot of offensive looks yes. you know and it is helping his bottom line in a massive way you just have to wait yeah <laughs> I, I think you're you're not right now you just, just wait just wait you just gotta wait don't be like Bart Scott this one you can wait on yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh the other piece on the menu 
Maybe this might come as a surprise, but Sam Lafferty, I'm putting him on the menu. He's look, American PDG. Yeah, looked uh, looked great on Saturday next to Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev. And they've now played 30 minutes together, that trio at 5-on-5, five five, three goals for, just one against. Lafferty has been great next to Elias Pettersson, so he gets a spot on the menu here. Yeah, he has been fantastic. And he's doing, you know, I, I joke about the PDG, PDG thing, but he's playing the role, which yeah. is first guy on the forecheck, dig pucks out, be good along the walls, you know, connect play. He has some size. He puts teams on their heels. I don't think it's a long-term fixture. But, hey, if we gave Phil a good 25-game, 24-game run <laughs> yeah. in the top six, you can give Sam Lafferty a bit of a run. If you had six forwards that were legit top six guys, diff- different discussion, but they yeah. don't. They have five, and it's about who's going to be the sixth guy. And right now, I think Lafferty's earning that spot. I still have questions about how Kuzmenko fits if he's not playing next to Elias Pettersson, but uh, that might be another conversation. Quickly, how about you put Pettersson... Yeah. with Kuzmenko on the left wing and then put Lafferty on the right wing and put Mikheyev with Miller and Besser. It's something I would like to see because didn't love what I saw out yeah. of Kuzmenko, Miller, and Besser on Saturday night. Uh, simmering, it's size on D. And everybody likes good size on D, and uh, that's what uh, the Canucks have absolutely been adding to their roster. No, they have. Nikita Zadorov bringing in that size on D. Yeah. They, they certainly have. And you saw how difficult it is to fight through. Yes. Um, by the Calgary Flames. But. <laughs> we are such. You guys children. have way too much fun on this show. <laughs> oh, way too much. Some big Z energy. Yes. Yes. 100%. Hey, Canucks have like now, like th- those three defensemen, again, over 6'5 and above when you get Carson Soucy back. I'm curious how that's all going to look. Le- in seriousness. You do, when you watch them, though, uh, and I can't wait to see it in person yeah. uh, on Tuesday against the New Jersey Devils, it's a lot of man to get through yes. on the ice, you know? And if, if they hold their own and they hold their positioning, like, they're going to be held to play against. And once you get Carson Soucy back, like, I don't think that's insignificant. As long as guys can play. If you have guys who are pylons, it doesn't matter. But if, if these guys move the way they're moving. It didn't look bad on Saturday night, you know. They uh, had a mostly quiet game outside of their penalty kill minutes, Zdorov and uh, Myers. Uh, All right, that's what uh, we get to with the cold spell on the Uh, Canucks roster. Returning to the kitchen is the special teams, all of it. Return it all to the the kitchen right now because they are ice cold. Canucks are under 70% on the PK for the last two weeks, and their power play is at 13% in the last two weeks. The numbers are even worse if you go into the last week, the last seven days, but I wanted to even expand it out further because this isn't just a recent issue now. This is a couple of weeks for the penalty kill. It's almost a month now that it's been toiling away under 75%. It's um, it's a problem for this it, team right now. It has uh, it, it. I mean, the power play was so hot. It was like what thirty three percent or whatever it was. Yes. It was going to correct itself. They're still top five in the power play, right? I think they're at twenty seven percent now. So it's still you know twenty six. They're at a high percentage still on yes. the power play, but they still have to get a lot better on it. And I'd like to see Kuzmenko mm-hmm. get back on the first unit. Get Philip Peronik to the second unit. Having Quinn out there for the full two minutes, I don't think it's it's great for anybody. You know, the team yes. and also Quinn Hughes playing those minutes. The PK, that's where the concerns are a bit greater because they now it looks like a bit of a confidence issue, too. Yeah. You see them They're giving the up the backdoor play a little the back bit more. Door, They're the cheating teams. a little bit. Yeah. One guy makes a mistake. The other guy makes a little mistake. I think they have to get through that mentally first. And once they do that, I think they have the personnel 
with Zadorov here too as added depth on the back end. Pew Suter, I think, is going to help when he gets healthy. Like, there's no reason why, Dan, this PK should be as bad as it's been. In yeah. terms of personnel, their personnel is not that bad anymore on the PK. It should be a lot better, and we saw it be a lot better. They also shouldn't, like, completely turtle by losing two players, Pew Suter and Carson Soucy. They should be a lot better. All right, Don Taylor's coming up next on Canuck Central.